Good morning, fellowship. Great to be you, be with you this morning. I'm Rob Sweet. Lloyd's here as well. We've been having fun together, being together uh, on Sunday. Now we went a little long on the first service, so I don't know a what lot we long. You put <laughs> those of you who were standing in the learning center waiting to eat in rooms. I went and begged forgiveness for all of all of our staff and you volunteers. You put two preachers on the stage That's together. What are you going to expect? But uh, all right, so we still do have some people in the back waiting for a seat, and I do see some seats up front here. Yeah, there are seats over, over here, here. There are seats. There are seats on the front row. Y'all just come come on down. Now I want to ask the ushers if you would pass the baskets one more time. I was watching them when they went around. I said, I don't know if we got enough. <laughs> That's terrible, uh, not serious. I am serious about the ushers passing the baskets again. Inside the basket this time, there's something for you. We want you to take something as the basket comes back around. So literally the ushers are gonna come back down. They're gonna pass the baskets again in just a minute. And inside those baskets, you're gonna find a group of cards. Everybody needs one of these cards. It's just a, a blank uh, card with the big letter A on the front, on the back. It, uh, there's nothing on the back. And what I'd like you to do is just take one of those cards, hold on to it. You don't need to do anything with it yet. Also, you're going to find some pens in the baskets. If you don't have a pen, take a pen. At the end of the service, leave the pen. You'll see the baskets on your way out that you can return those pens. So once everybody has a card and a pen, you'll be ready to go. Now, while those are being passed out, let me just sort of tee up a little bit what we're going to be doing this morning. We're taking a one-week break in our study through the Gospel of Mark. And why are we doing that? Well, we've been talking about following the servant king. As we've been looking at Mark's gospel and the life of Jesus, you've probably been thinking mostly about what does that mean for me individually, personally, to follow the servant king. So this morning, as we take our break from Acts, what we're really talking about is still following the servant king. But the question is, what does it look like for us corporately, for us as a body, for us as fellowship Bible church to follow the servant king together? And so if you're unaware there have been a few changes this summer with leadership, et cetera, that you've heard about. And I know the question that comes as soon as you process change is, what does this mean for the future? What does this mean going forward? What's the future going to look like? And so we're going to answer some of these questions, but let me just say this as a broad answer to begin with. The future is going to look a lot like the past, but with some renewed focus and renewed clarity. So that's the big picture, and we're going to unpack that over the next 40 minutes or so, because I think when it all comes down to it, all of us are here to follow the servant king, mm -hmm. both individually and corporately. Uh, it is uh, the weekend of the PGA Championship, and I know I've missed a, a third, uh, two-thirds of you when I say that. Pro Golfers Association's final major of the year. They have, you know, pro golfers have four major tournaments. The most prestigious are these four. Well, this is the last one, and so, you know, it's Sunday, final round, so I'm, you know, I'll be running home to watch this. Got me thinking about golf and, and a story that I heard uh, really a number of years ago, a, a, a golfer, you know, teed off, hit his ball down into the fairway. When he went into the fairway, it, went, it rolled through the fairway into the rough. And, you know, the rough on a golf course is a little bit taller than the main fairway. And so this ball came to rest on an ant hill, but he was unaware because of the taller grass. And so when this, this golfer took his stand and he swung to advance the ball, he missed the ball, hit nothing but ant hill, ants flying everywhere. He takes another stand over the ball, swings again, second time, hits nothing but ant hill, ants scream, ah, yee, yee, you know, whatever ants would sound like as they're, they're going everywhere. And it's at that moment that uh, 
one aunt turns to the other and says, I don't know about you, but if we're going to survive this thing, we better get on the ball. Now, no, no hissing. Someone's, someone's hissing over here. Um, now, here's, here's what I want to say. is I think for some of us, the last four weeks have felt like living on that anthill. I mean, that happens when there's leadership transitions, there's change. When you experience change, it's like, whoa, the ground just shifted. What, what just happened, you know, where are people fleeing or whatever, literally in some cases. Um, and you, you think, are, are we going to survive this? And here's what I want to say to you, and I hope you walk out of here today with a sense of this. Y'all, we're not just going to survive. That's not why we're here. We're going to thrive. We're going to thrive through this, not because of Robert Lloyd or what we do. We're going to thrive because when we open the Bible and see what God has to say about his church, that's what he has to say about his church. Now, to get on the ball, back to the joke, uh, we do want to talk about four things, four uh, foundational truths about who we are, what we do, where we're going, and why it matters. And I'm going to tell you, when we grasp those four, that does, in a sense, I hope you feel this, that puts us on the ball, pun intended, and it moves us forward. We're going to start with who we are, and we're going to start on a very personal note. And then I'll conclude that with a bit of a corporate who we are as we move forward. Great. So I mentioned uh, last week, for those of you that are here, I'd love to get to know you. I'd, I'd love to hear your stories over time. And I look forward to that. This morning, I want to take a few minutes just to tell a little bit about my story, introduce you to my family and for you to get to know me a little bit, because I'm going to be here a good bit more than I have been uh, in the past. So we have a picture of my family we'll put on the screen. I'll just start there. Uh, now, they're actually here today. Most of them are. They're sitting up here in the front row. Uh, two of our three daughters are in this service. Our oldest daughter is serving in the Learning Center. But Jody and I have been married 16 years. We have three daughters. Ansley is our oldest. She's in the center of that picture. She's a seventh grader at Freedom Middle School. And uh, she loves all things music. She's a great piano player, and she plays the flute, and she sings as well. Elisa in the bottom left. Elisa is nine years old, and she's a fourth grader at Liberty Elementary School. Elisa loves to read, which we love that. And Elisa also plays the violin and is starting with the Music City Strings this fall. And then Karis in the bottom right-hand corner. Karis is a first grader at Liberty Elementary. She's, she'll be seven in a couple of weeks. And Karis loves critters and animals, and she loves to dance. And she's going to be a fellowship school of dance this fall, which we're excited about that. So that's our family. I'll tell you a little bit about how Jody and I met in a minute. But before I go there, let me tell you just a little bit about my background. Uh, I was born in 1975. I'll spare you the math. I'll be 42 in a few weeks. And uh, I was the third of four children. I was raised in a Christian home. In fact, the church that I primarily grew up in was a church very similar to fellowship. It was a Bible church. It was a very solid uh, foundation. In fact, one of the reasons I'm passionate today about our family ministries, our student ministry, our children's ministry, is because that was the foundation that God used in my wow. life to grow in me a love of Christ, a love for the Bible. And honestly, it was during my high school years that God stirred something in my heart that would later lead me to want to go to seminary and become a, a full-time vocational minister, a pastor. Now, there was about a 10-year period from when that stirring started in me to when I actually 
full-time began to pursue that. And I want to tell you about that 10-year interim period because I think God used that in a pretty powerful way in my life as well. So I graduated from high school in 1994. I went to the University of Georgia. Mm. Sorry, mm. Tennessee fans. <laughs> this is something we haven't quite worked out yet. We're working I on I thought that. last year was outstanding. Well... I don't have a comeback for that no, I yet. <laughs> yeah. wait, wait a couple months, okay. we'll see. Now, um, I was in the marching band at Ooh. the University of Georgia. Yeah. I played the trumpet. In fact, I think we have a picture. We put that up before. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I was told everyone loves a man in uniform, so I thought that would yeah. be a good way for y'all to get to know me. Do y'all, y'all remember when we walked around, uh, some of you in here, we walked around and I blew the shofar? Do you remember that? I will never blow the shofar again, for we have a shofar blower who will do it appropriately. And I heard that was a little forgettable, Lloyd. It was with very forgettable. Blowing, but I'll see what I can do someday. Now, yeah. with, this was called the Red Coat Marching Band for obvious reasons. So we'd start the, the halftime show, little red coats are coming, and we'd all run out on the field. Now, there was one beautiful flag twirler. Oh, in that boy. red coat marching band that I kind of uh, kind of caught my eye, and that was my wife Jody. So we started dating while we were in college. I was a couple years older than her. So once we graduated, once she graduated college, we got married uh, in, in uh, 2001. Is when Jody and I were married. Now I mentioned to you our three daughters. We had our first daughter about three years after we were married, and at that time I was working at the corporate office of Chick Fil A in Atlanta. So finished college worked at Chick-fil-A. Now, what I did at Chick-fil-A was I was a consultant for the franchises. So we had about, at that time, 40 or 50 consultants, and we were based out of Atlanta, but we would travel to the restaurants and provide coaching on their business plans. We'd provide accountability, share ideas across the chain, and my favorite part, test the food. Mm-hmm. So I got to know that Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. food real well, and I still test the food today, but, mm-hmm. but as you a volunteer. Yeah, I pay for it. <laughs> now, That was a seven-year period of time for me, and honestly, I loved working at Chick-fil-A. It's a phenomenal company. All the good stuff you've heard about Chick-fil-A is is really true. They have a corporate purpose, which is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that he's entrusted to them and to have a positive influence on everyone that comes in contact with Chick-fil-A. That's their purpose, and they really live it out. But I'll tell you something, during that time of my life, not only did I learn a whole lot about their corporate culture and their strategy and some other things, but God began to stir in me that passion, that energy that he planted in my high school years to teach and preach God's word. And the way that would play out primarily would be every August, Chick-fil-A would send a group of us to the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. And they would send us to go learn about leadership principles. Now, this is a church leaders Mm -hmm. conference. But Chick-fil-A would send some of their executives there. And, and every year I would hear Bill Hybels, the pastor at Willow Creek Church, I'd hear him say, the local church is the hope of the world. And every year that would stir something in me because I think he's true. I think it's right. Now, I've come to modify that phrase. I would say Jesus Christ in and through the local church is the hope of the mm-hmm. world. But the idea is the same. It's like, I loved leading at Chick-fil-A, but God was stirring something new, something fresh. In fact, he was taking me back to some things that he started stirring in me back in high school. So I'd be on the airplane flying back from Chicago every August, and and a guy next to me, Chick-fil-A guy, would say, man, I'm so pumped up to go serve God by serving chicken. And I'd say, good for you. Like, that's where God has you. And I was thinking to myself, God's drawing me somewhere else. 
Both are right. Both mm-hmm. are good, right? Mm-hmm. But for me particularly, God was drawing me into that. So in 2006, we sold our house in Atlanta. We moved to Dallas, Texas, and I started classes at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, was there for several years, a Master of Theology degree. While I was there, I worked full-time, and I studied full-time, and I was a husband full-time, and mm-hmm. I was a dad full-time. It was too many full-times. Mm-hmm. You get the idea. But I worked at the uh, Howard Hendricks Center for Christian Leadership. So many of you have heard of Howard Hendricks, prof, as he's affectionately known. Um, He has since passed away, but at the time he was leading a leadership center, and I got to work very closely with him, and that was a phenomenal experience for me. Graduated from Dallas Seminary, and then I've um, served at two churches prior to fellowship. I was the young adult pastor at a church in Fort Worth, Texas, another Bible church, and then at Grace Fellowship Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We were there for two years before we came to fellowship. And I'll just tell you, there were two things that drew me to fellowship three years ago. The first was the way Lloyd and others have been teaching God's word faithfully for the last 19 years, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse. That is what I believe we are called to do as preachers, the way we are called to preach God's word. And that's been true about this church. The second thing that drew me to fellowship from a human perspective is I love the idea of team. The way God's wired me, I'm a team leader. I love gathering men around and saying, what would God have next for us? And guiding and facilitating and leading those conversations, but leading the team. So I love the team approach that fellowship has. That, that's actually pretty mm-hmm. unique to fellowship. So those are the reasons that I'm here. And I don't think it's any coincidence, you all, when you hear that story, and there's more to it, that God has so wired Rob Sweet and put his story together that he would be at this place and at this time, stepping into this role as, as lead pastor with us. You know, we hired Rob as a teaching pastor at Franklin. That wasn't our intention that he, he would be taking this new role. But when you sit with Rob and you get to know him, I think what you find is that when he takes truth in his heart, what comes out of him is this winsomeness with the word. And I've said to you so many times uh, that, that Rob, I would say to you after Rob, I'm following Rob as he's taught the week before, and I'd say, man, if you miss that message, you need to get it. Which, by the way, pause on here. You need to hear Rob's message last week. Um, if you haven't, make sure you get that before we step back into Mark again. But I would say, he's no ordinary teacher leader, and you guys would nod or whatever. And I just want to affirm that. It's God's time and God's place that he steps into this role Dr. Hendricks has said, and I've quoted him many times, the church will be led by those who teach doctrine winsomely. And I really believe that, Rob, uh, about you. Now, I'm going to talk about me personally, but I'm going to talk about it very quickly. One thing that dawned on me as, as we were talking about this is I don't know that I've ever shown fellowship a picture of my family. Maybe I have. I, I, I don't remember doing that. Now, I sent a text to my family, you know, the family group text, Uh, I need a picture of the whole family. I can show the whole church. Now, what ensued after that is for another time. It's for a whole other time. I'm going to save that. I'm just going to say that uh, here's a picture of our family. And uh, this was from our trip this uh, last spring when we see our son Darden in Europe. On the left right there, that's Darden. He's 21. He'll be 22 in a couple of weeks. He's a senior at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And we are grateful he's literally in the picture. You guys know that he had a motorcycle accident in February 2016 that could have, should have taken his life. And uh, it didn't, and he's with us, and we're grateful for that. And then there's me, and then there's Lisa. Some of you don't, you'd see Lisa and wouldn't know that that was my wife. Uh, And then in front of Lisa is Susan. 
Susan is uh, 18. She just graduated from Franklin High School. And Susan is on her way to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And we will move her in on Tuesday. So that's what our week is going to be looking like. And then on the right is Sally. Sally's our youngest. She's 16. She's a junior at Franklin High School. And Rob, both of my girls have put in their time at Chick-fil-A. And Sally just retired, by the way, after a year at Chick-fil-A. So she just put down the... Put it down, Good and we're it. moving on from we're moving on from there. Now, you guys know I've told you my story of coming to faith as a high school student, being at the University of Tennessee Knoxville with Campus Crusade for Christ, and growing. I want to take one moment from those formative four years at uh, college with Crusade. One of the things that I learned was that two things last forever: the Word of God and the souls of men, souls of people. Just those two things. And y'all, that truth came in my ears, in my brain. And I'm telling you, over four years, it worked itself down into my heart and into my soul. I I, I don't know how else to explain it, that the Spirit did that. And when I graduated, in my mind, I just would think to myself, you know, there's two things that last forever, the Word of God and the souls of men. Um, Jesus is the Word of God, and Jesus, by his life, death, and resurrection, provided the way for people's souls to be back in relationship with God forever. And for me, again, I just thought, what could matter more than that, you know? And, I, and for me, I just thought, I'm gonna, I, I want to help people know Christ and grow in their relationship with Christ. So that's, that's kind of how I ended up, and I've told you guys this before, that's how I ended up, you know, here, even doing what I'm doing today. Uh, right after college, I was on staff with Family Life. It's where Lisa and I met. We, uh, we were, we've been married 26 years. Uh, we spent two of those years when we were with Family Life in Dallas, Texas, at Dallas Seminary. Um, in October, I'm going to jump ahead. In October of 1996, I'm still in the past, but moving quicker. October of 1996, Lisa and I moved here to co-plant Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, reluctantly in a sense, but at the same time, think about what happened to me in college. I just had this sense, you know, two things last forever. I, I just want to help people know Christ, grow in Christ. That's a pretty succinct statement for the mission of any church. And so we came here to plant fellowship. I've got a picture I want to show you. You all, this is Christmas service of 1997. And that is hair on me. (laughs) A lot of it. Big, thick Japanese hair. That's what, you know, that's what I've got. Um, That is a Jensen car speaker that we would take out of Sean Cushion's car and stick on a pole. And that would be our, you know, our audio for the, for the morning. Now, what I want to show you here is this is not a worship service. Y'all, we spent 18 months as a core group, 18 months before we opened the doors and said we're a church. Why would we, why would we do that? Paul says in Ephesians 4, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. If I distilled down who we are corporately now. This is who we are and who we've always been. We believe that the role of the leaders in a church are not to do the ministry per se, but to equip the saints, to equip every one of you who know Christ to do the work of ministry. That's the church, and that's our core DNA, that you wouldn't come up to me with a friend and say, gosh, I have a friend. Could you lead them to Christ? I would look at you and go, that's what you get to do, not me. And here's how you do that. 
that has been always at the center of who we are, you see, corporately as a community of faith. Okay, who we are, what we do. I want you to think about something with me. Every organization needs an answer to the question, what do we do? What are we about? Why are we here? Like, what is our reason for being? Now, I want you to turn. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. I just, I want you to see this with your own eyes. It's not going to go up on the screen. I want you to see it if you have the Bible with you just to, to pull it up. Some of you, as soon as I said Matthew 28, uh, Matthew 28 is where we're going, you immediately said, I know, it's the Great Commission. And that's exactly where we want to be this morning. We want to talk about this Great Commission because here's the thing that's different about the church from any or other organization. Most other organizations have to find an answer to the question, why are we here, i.e., what do we do? The church already has the answer given. Like, mm -hmm. we don't choose the what. The what has been given to us, and it's right here. It's actually in a lot of places in the Bible, but I think this is the most clear. So I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 28, and I'll read 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, notice Matthew's gospel ends there. Right, this is the final word according to Matthew. And then and likely immediately after Jesus said this, he ascends into heaven. He disappears in the clouds. And they're left with these words ringing in their ears. Now, what stood out to me this week as I took another look at this passage is Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. Now, think about this. This is a man that was just raised from the grave. He defeated death. And someone that defeats death can do anything they want to do. So what does Jesus do with all that authority, with all that power that he has at his disposal? He gives it away. He empowers a group of people. He sends them. Well, what does he send them to do? What does he empower them to do? Make disciples. Men and women, this is our what. This is what the church has always been called to do from this moment in time, Matthew 28, until August 2017 in Middle Tennessee. We make disciples. What do we do as the church? We make disciples. What do we do as the church? We make disciples. What do we do as the church? We make disciples. This is the what. And as Lloyd said, it connects to the who. We're the kind of church that we want to equip you. We want to train you. We, we want to get back to this root idea of who we are and what we do. We're here to equip you as the church to make disciples. And then the last thing briefly I'd say about this passage is, look how you make disciples. You baptize people. That means we're proclaiming Christ. We're sharing our faith. People are coming to Christ. We're baptizing them. Then we're teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And as I've thought about that, and Lloyd mentioned this already, Jesus is the Word in flesh, right? The Word was made flesh. What we're teaching them is all that Jesus commanded his disciples. In other words, it's the whole counsel of God. Mm -hmm. It's everything that that Word spoke and everything that the Word still speaks 
today. That's what we're commanded to do. The whole point of all of this is to make disciples. That's our what. We don't choose it. It chose us. Mm. Now, I think that bleeds right into the next section, which is where are we going? So we talked about who we are, talked about what we do. Now let's talk about where we're going. And I know this is a question on everybody's mind. You know, you have a, a leadership change. The question is, well, what does that mean? Where are we going? Is there a new vision? What will that look like, et cetera? And I just want to go back to what I said at the beginning. I think the future is going to look a lot like the past, but with some refreshed clarity and focus. And so I want to unpack that with you a little bit. What does that look like to have some refreshed focus and refreshed clarity? Well, there's one particular word that I think God has kind of put on my heart as a leader in this season. And I've shared this with Lloyd. I've shared this with our elder team. I've shared this with other senior leaders at Fellowship. And it seems to be a word that God is, is really using that we're all resonating with in this season at Fellowship with all the change and the newness and the, the looking ahead. And here's what the word is. It's the word renewal. Renewal. Let me talk about the word renewal for just a minute. What I appreciate about this word is it carries the both and of what's been true in the past and the hope for the future. So you think about renewal, embedded in the concept of renewal is we're not starting from scratch. There's no need to. What God did in the hearts of Lloyd and that core group of people that you saw that picture of almost 20 years ago was he was birthing in them the work that he called us to at Fellowship Bible Church. But the word renewal also carries with it something new, something fresh. What we want to do is go back and renew the calling that God has placed on this church. And we want to sharpen it. We want to bring to it a little more urgency, a little more clarity, a little more specificity, a, a little bit more around the question of what does it look like now, 20 years later, for us to be about the work that God has called us to do, equipping the saints to make disciples. So that's what we mean by renewal. And that's the concept that we've been talking about a lot and the concept that we're going to continue to talk about. Now, what does that look like specifically at Fellowship? Well, I want to break the next year, the coming ministry year, so to speak, into two parts, two seasons, if you will. Season one, which will be between now and the end of the calendar year, so between now and Christmas time, and season two, which will be in the early part of 2018. And we've got labels for each season. So Lloyd's going to talk about season one, and then I'll come back up and talk about season two. Label we put on season one is get ready. Preparation, get ready, getting ready, get ready. And we've got three things that we, will, that we will be doing as we get ready in this season one. The first is this. When we wrap up Mark next month, uh, we've been praying for some time. Uh, where, do we, where do we go next? What do we do? And what book do we study? And we are convinced that uh, we believe the Holy Spirit saying this is where we're going. We're going to study the book of Acts. Now, when I say that, we're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to go to chapter 28. We're going to cover the first 32 years of the church. That's what we do. And we're going to cover it as an overview. And by this, I mean we're going to take 8 to 10 milestones within that as it unfolds over those 32 years. And we're going to look at those milestones of the early church. And here's what we actually get to see. We get to see how the Holy Spirit 
instilled his DNA into the early church. And as we unpack that, we discover how the Holy Spirit instills his DNA into the church today. Does that make sense? That'll be starting next, uh, middle of next month, and will take us all the way through the beginning of Advent season. Second thing we'll be doing, getting ready. We will be adding to the existing elder board. I want you to know that this process has, has been going on, actually, for over three years. But we have been delayed for various reasons. We're at a point now where we will, by early December, hopefully be putting men before you whom we have walked through a process. The process is aspiration, qualification, then confirmation. The existing elder board is always, one of their responsibilities is to identify who's eldering in the body. Like, like who's already an elder? Because there are men in this room, literally, who are eldering. They don't have the office title, but they're eldering. And those are the men that we identify. Do they aspire to the office? Are they qualified above reproach? And does the body confirm them as those they will submit to as trustworthy men and be under their authority to follow them in the church? The book of Acts, we're going to add to the elder board. By the way, that'll probably be about 12 men from the three congregations of fellowship. And when you think about that, we're going to add men, and some on the board will rotate off and move into probably a, you know, maybe an inactive state for a season. So that's what that will look like. Third thing, we're going to call the body to a season of prayer and fasting. When you read your Bible and identify when the people of God had, had certain seasons when they specifically said, we're going to, we're going to call a prayer and a fast, it was generally around a time when they were desperate for deliverance and direction. And we're going to call ourselves to a season of prayer and fasting. You're going to get more details on this, but it's going to be a season where for a period of time, we as a body uh, in different ways will be praying and we'll be fasting about what's coming, where we are and what's coming. And in a nutshell, again, we'll teach around this. You know, when you, when you fast, you know what you're doing in a sense is you're saying, Lord, there's something going on in my life, in my world, in my church right now. I'm going to set aside, let's just say you fast a meal or two meals. I'm going to set aside that which I need to live. I'm going to set it aside because in this season, I want you to know, oh God, I need you more than anything else to live. So that's what that will entail. So season one, book of Acts, adding elders, prayer and fasting. So you think about, think about for a minute what that means for us. We've been in the book of Acts for several months in the fall. We've been asking God to show us what's the DNA that you through your spirit have put in the church and what does that mean for us? We're adding elders, refreshing that team. These are the men that lead the church at the highest level on that team. And then we're going on our knees asking God for vision. I think he's going to answer. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to show us. And I'm convinced he's going to continue to birth in us all throughout that season ideas for what it would look like more specifically to equip the saints to make disciples, which is what we've been called to all along. So that'll lead us right into season two, early part of 2018. We're calling season two Dream Together. Dream together. And let me explain what we mean by that. 
any organization at a certain point in its life cycle, it's important, important that it asks itself the question, where, what's next? Where are we going from here? And it oftentimes looks a lot like going back, looking at the, the, the original purpose for the organization, which we've already alluded to, but then also looking ahead. And I'd say this, and I think, Lloyd, you asked this question uh, a couple of weeks ago. Has anything changed in Middle Tennessee in the last 20 years? <laughs> Now, it's, it's laughable, right? Mm -hmm. What's interesting about this place is it's becoming a strategic place in the country as literally people from all over are moving to Middle Tennessee. God has us planted here. What does it look like for us to dream together about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years for Fellowship's future? So I can't tell you at this point in time all the steps that that will entail, but I will tell you this. It's going to involve a lot more prayer, a lot of conversation. I'm picturing whiteboards and butcher paper with things written all over it. We're going to involve you in that and asking for input from the body, what God is stirring in you. And we just want to see what will rise up where the Spirit will be leading in us as the body and as leaders to call our church to. Not a new church, same church, fresh vision. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought, how could I illustrate this mm -hmm. since we can't yet share any specifics of what that'll look like? Because honestly, we, we don't quite know all the steps that we'll take in January through April or May. But I, but I had this uh, thought in my head. I think it'll be a little bit like um, what a, a process that Jody and I worked through with our family recently. Uh, our three girls, are as they've gotten older, you know how it works as a family. You see different things kind of coming out in the dynamics of your family. And at a certain point in time, Jody and I said, you know what? I think we need to have a meeting. And so we called the girls together for this little family meeting. And we said, girls, we want to ask you the question. What kind of family do you think God wants us to be? And honestly, we got like blank faces, you know, like, what do you mean? What kind of family does God want us to be? We're just a family and you know? I don't really know anything different. So we started asking other questions. We said, well, well, what do you like about this family? What do you love about this family? And what do you wish were different about this family? And uh, they thought about it for a little while. And then, and then, you know, literally all three of them almost in unison blurted out, we need a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You got them. You got them right where you want them. So, so, so here's what we said. We said, we'll pray about that. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we'll yeah. Pray about that. We're going to have a season of prayer. You know? Yeah. We're still praying about yeah. that, by the way. But, but then the, the, the conversation turned in some other things, and Jody and I were able to speak into that a little bit. And what emerged from that meeting, what emerged from that process, were five rules five rules. Now they're really kind of values, but we call them rules to make it a little bit more accessible. And we said, here's how you can remember these. We, we paired them each with one finger of the hand. And now we talk about these five rules all the time. Now here's the thing. Those five things are shaping the culture of our family. What's interesting is they weren't new. We just never had the intentional conversation around them. We'd never written them down. We'd never said, these are the five things that we want to shape our family. This is what God is doing in us moving forward. Now, fellowship has some of those things written down. We've got values. We've got a mission statement. But we believe, and, and I, I firmly believe this is just true for this next season, we need to revisit these things. It's time. It's time for us to have fresh and clear vision for what it looks like. In other words, what kind of family would God lead us to be? And honestly, that season of dreaming together, I couldn't be more excited about it. Who we are, what we do, where we're going, we're going to land here. Why does this matter? 
I think this may be the most important thing. Why? Why does it matter? I want to get there two ways. Let me start here. You know, the Bible's a big book, but if you took this big book of the Bible and all that it teaches, and I asked you, summarize the Bible with one word, what word would you give me? What, say anything. What would you? Love, truth, redemption. You're all right. They're all correct, okay? Let me ask it this way. It's all of that, but it's a name. What would it be? Men and women, the Bible from cover to cover is about redemption, holiness, love, joy, peace. But it's about a man, the God-man, Jesus, period. This is not original, but you've thought, probably seen this over time. If we took the Bible and broke it out, you could do it in this way. The whole Old Testament is Jesus promised. The Gospels themselves are Jesus revealed. The book of Acts, Jesus proclaimed. The epistles, Jesus explained that he who was revealed in the Gospels, proclaimed in Acts, is explained in the New Testament letters. And the revelation is Jesus glorified. From cover to cover, the Bible is a story about Jesus. That God made a promise that he was going to make a way back, make a way that humanity could come back into relationship with him. And that promise is fulfilled in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, what happened in the garden? Remember what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve were in relationship with God. They didn't trust God. That relationship was broken. What happened in the garden that we call the fall did not disrupt God's plan. The Bible does not show us that God intended that for them, and they blew it, and he had to go back to the drawing board. Oh my gosh, they didn't do what I thought they would do. Now what am I going to do? No, no, no. Jesus Christ promised, revealed, proclaimed, explained, and glorified has always been plan A. Plan A, plan A. There's no plan B. There was never a plan B in eternity past nor future. It's always been for God's glory that Jesus would come, die on a cross for our sins, be buried and raised again, and call a people to himself to put their faith in him for a right relationship with God. There's no plan B. Just plan A. And his name is Jesus. Now let me connect that with our own reality as we say, why does this matter? Remember Jesus in his resurrection body ascended in Acts 1. The disciples are looking up into the sky because his body went into the clouds. The two angels standing nearby said, why are you looking into the sky? This Jesus, in the same way that he has gone, he will come again one day. I want you to listen to these words from Ray Stedman. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he exchanged his own resurrected body on earth for a different kind of body on earth. The church, which is the body of Christ. Paul says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his 
body. Y'all, why does who we are, what we do, where we're going matter? Because there's no plan B. Plan A is Jesus. And Jesus is fulfilling his mission through the church today. That's me and you. Y'all, that's us, the church. Individually, a temple of God, right? But gathered the temple of God, the body of Jesus Christ. Why does this matter? Because, because the hope of the world is Jesus And he's expressing that hope in these days through the church. That's you and me being the eyes and the ears and the heart and the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. Y'all, I don't know if anything else matters more. I want you to close your Bibles. And I want us to think about how this applies, how how it engages us. And let me say this. I've just answered the question why it matters by saying... Because Jesus is plan A and there's no plan B. And plan A is the church right now because we are the body of Christ. Let me get more personal. This last month, I hope this last month has been atypical. I do in many regards. But in, in many regards, my last month, y'all, has been so normal. So It's just, just so normal in the last 30, 40 days. Uh, I've helped organize and coordinate a, a memorial and a funeral for member of our body whose mother passed away suddenly, unexpectedly uh, in the night. And uh, a son-in-law who tried to, to revive her and, and could not and did not. Um, I've interacted uh, uh, with a friend whose depression has, has gotten the best of him and, and it's, it's gotten worse and it's requiring some real changes in a season for him and his family. I've sat with a woman who was wondering, is there life after divorce? Is there life after divorce? I've sat with families who's, uh, who, have, who have children who are, are, are honestly breaking their parents' hearts with the choices they're making and you know, kind of finding their way and turning, honestly turning on everything that they had been taught all, all through their growing up years. And then I did a wedding recently and uh, such a, it was amazing, it was a great uh, time and, and in this wedding, you know, as we often do, the, the, the groomsmen gather around the groom to pray for him, you know, as they're going out. And on this one, it was so sweet. The, uh, the father, the, the groom was sitting in a chair, and the father got down on his knees and put his hand on his, his son's hand was on his knees, and he put his hand there. And, there, and I'm standing about two feet away, and they're just rubbing each other's hands. And the dad starts to pray. And can barely pray. He is absolutely overcome with gratitude that his boy is a godly man and has come to this place. And I keep, I'm talking gushers of tears falling as the dad's just trying to breathe. And these best friends around him. I, I get to be in on that. And, and the son is sitting, okay, and, and their hands. And again, I'm just watching their hands just rub each other, just, just as, they're, as they're praying. And the, and the son's face is down like this, and his nose is right over their hands, and the tears are coming off his nose, joining the snot, and <laughs> baptizing their hands. I mean it. <laughs> baptizing those hands rubbing together. I was absolutely undone. I will never forget it. 
before we go out to do the wedding, uh, my phone's sitting on a table, so I literally get up from that. I walk over, and I just grab my phone, and of course, I'm getting ready to officiate the wedding. I'm going to turn this thing off. Before I turn it off, there's a text from an old friend out of town just to say, we're getting a divorce. And and it's like I went, wait, I just did that, and now... And you know what? That, that, that's, uh, that's, that's life. That's, they need to know there's hope even through this divorce. And, and I'm so thrilled to put a hand on and be a part of a young man and a young woman in, engaging in a marriage. Why does all this we're talking about matter? Because people are lost. And saved people are hurting. And we need one another and we need Christ to give us the hope that does not disappoint. Amen. So as you heard Lloyd kind of walk through some of the interactions he had with people in his last month, some of you were thinking, well, that's just because he's a pastor. Like pastors deal with stuff like that. No, it's because he's a human being. Honestly, you would have similar stories. You have interacted in the last month with people who are hurting, with people who are lost, with people who are broken, people whose marriages and relationships are falling apart, with people who don't have hope. Mm -hmm. We all have. And this is the point of today is to say, you represent the Mm -hmm. hope because there is only one plan A and there is no plan B. So here's what we want you to do with these cards. Pull them out. We gave them to you earlier. Hopefully everybody has a card. Take out a pen or take out a pencil, whatever you have. I want you to take this card and I want you to flip it over to the back side of the card, the blank side of the card. And I'm going to get you to write down some names on the back side of this card. And I really would love for everyone to do this. We're just asking. We think it's an important part of the service this morning. And I'm going to give you some categories to think through of some names. And as I list the category, just write down one or two or maybe three individuals' names, personal names that come to mind, family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, anyone at all. Here's the first category. I'd like you to write down the names of individuals you know that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. They're spiritually lost or, or you're just not sure that they just don't seem to have the hope of Jesus. And we all know people who don't know Christ. And so I want you to write down one or two or three or more names of individuals that do not, do not know Jesus. Go ahead and do that now. another category. Some of you are still writing and that's fine. I want you to think now about the names of people, whether they know Christ or not, that are just hurting. They're just in deep waters right now. They're struggling and it could be in in any area. Maybe something's going on in their marriage or their family or they have a, a child who's struggling right now. Maybe it's a financial struggle, maybe a health struggle. Some things have come into their life and they're struggling just to keep their heads above water. We all know people like that. Write down some names of people who are in deep struggle right now.
even as you're still thinking about that, I would like you to invite uh, you to write down one more category of people. And these are people who are in a season of loss. They've, they've lost someone close to them. And there's been a passing. There's been a death. Lloyd told the story of the family that he's been sitting with recently. We all know people who in the last 12 months or 24 months or not long ago have lost individuals close to them. And they're grieving. They're in a season of grief. Write down a name or two you know in a season of grief. Now, I'd also like you to write your own name in addition to the other names you've already written. Just write down your own name. And I want to tell you why. You're not going to turn these in. These are just for you. We're going to encourage you to hang on to these. But you write your own name down as a reminder that we all struggle. We all go through things. We're all in sort of a perpetual state of needing hope. And you know, Jesus, when he sat with his disciples for the very last time around the Last Supper, he said this, in this world, you will have trouble. That was a guarantee. You will have trouble. But then the sentence continues. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so now turn that card over to the front side where you see that letter A. And there's one more name you need to write down on the front side now of this card. You already know the name. Write it down. It's Jesus Christ. Write that down next to this letter A. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the reason that there is hope for hurting people. You and others. Jesus is plan A. And I want you to write one more phrase after you've written the word Jesus Christ. I want you to write the phrase and him crucified. And him crucified. That comes straight from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul wrote this. He says, for I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, why do we need to remember that Jesus Christ was crucified? Because he bore the hurt. He bore the struggle. And because he was crucified and raised from the dead, there is hope for every name on the back side of the card. And the hope is Jesus Christ. Now, take that card. And I want you to put it in your Bible if you brought your Bible with you this morning. And I want you to put it at the start of the book of Acts. Because a month from now, you're going to turn there and you're going to see that card. And we're going to talk about those people. And we're going to talk about those cards. After you've put that card in your Bible, would you stand, please? We will conclude by lifting our voices and singing of that which we know is true. We're going to declare some truths here. And I, I want us to understand as, as heavy as the back of that card is, this is mine, as heavy as this is, because of the front of the card, y'all, we win. Death doesn't win. Sin doesn't win. Fallenness doesn't win, right? And why? Why? Because of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let that be our anthem this Lord's Day.